Once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition, uh, speaking with Professor Andy Taylor of uh, NC State. Um, we are at a, um, I guess, a stalemate here in North Carolina between Governor Roy Cooper and uh, the, uh, the legislative leadership uh, uh, held by Republicans in the General Assembly. Seems to be the uh, big bugaboo over getting a budget approved is Medicaid expansion. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's interesting, Rick. So um, this is the, f- the first um, sort of go, go around here where the Republican majorities haven't been super majorities mm. for the budget That's in, right. in, in the General Assembly. By super majorities, I mean they're not more than 60% under the state constitution. The governor's uh, veto can be overridden with three-fifths. It's two-thirds in, uh, at the federal level, but it's three-fifths here in North Carolina. Um, and um, the, uh, the Republicans in the House and Senate uh, it's a, the, 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 the distance is greater in the, in, in the House, so they have more of a problem in the House. But in neither body have a, a strict supermajority at the moment. So uh, in order to override the governor's veto of the budget, uh, they need to get some Democratic votes. Um, and this is proving uh, particularly difficult uh, in the House. Um, and so the governor says he's vetoed the budget, really hasn't talked too much about other things. He's talked a little bit about, you know, he always talks about teachers and, and we've yeah. got to improve. But the real issue, as you mentioned, is Medicaid expansion. And there are uh, an increasingly large number of states, um, uh, not mainly outside of the South, uh, that have, uh, using the sort of uh, apparatus of Obamacare, have uh, expanded Medicaid to catch... Um, people who uh, wouldn't otherwise qualify for regular Medicaid mm-hmm. but are uninsured. And so it just sort of expands the, 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 requ- the, yeah, the, the eligibility. Now, now, it doesn't seem as though, um, uh, particularly in the, um, uh, in the House, as I said, that the, the Republicans are going to be override, override. So they've sort of begun to think a little bit about uh, Medicaid expansion by offering a bill that would have some work requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and polling suggests that uh, quite a large number of Republicans are supportive of that in, in the state, mm-hmm. that they would support Medicaid expansion, but there will be these strings attached in this sort of work requirement. Um, Governor Cooper says he wants a, what he calls, a, I think he calls it a pure Medicaid bill that is just a Medicaid expansion bill that is without that that expansion um, and it looks like increasingly looks like um, and there are people out there listening who might be a little bit more closer to the, this than me but it looks like that at least in the house there, there's some crumbling going on uh, Speaker Moore who's the uh, leader of the house um, is have because he needs more Democrats uh, than um, uh, uh, leader uh, present pro tem um, Berger needs in the Senate, there might be some crumbling going on. But certainly in the Senate, um, Phil Berger, Senator Berger has said, you know, uh, we're not going to we're not going to cave here. We're not we don't we're not going for a pure Medicaid expansion. And so there continues to be this standoff where it goes. I don't know. We don't actually need a budget. <laughs> Um, Explain that. Yeah, we have a biennial budget in North Carolina, um, and so that means that the the government is funded for two years. When mm-hmm. the the budget in the um, uh, is is passed, um, and um, the 
well, actually, we're in 2019 now, so we do we will need a budget. But there is a a a a, a, a um, uh, proviso in place that means that we're not shut down, right? That that, that we're you just uh, keep operating on the previous year's operating on the previous year's budget. Budget. Yeah. So we could go on for a, a while uh, without. The, the shutting down of the government or the suspension of, of state government operations. So there isn't this kind of time, this deadline uh, uh, bearing down on everybody. But both sides clearly want a budget because they wrote their own budget. Um, uh, but the question is, when are we going to get it? Who's going to blink first, whether they, whether people feel a need to blink or not? It's a, it's a good question. Yeah, because... Um this is not the most, you know, polite way of putting it, but you know, in Governor Cooper and in uh, Senate President Phil Berger, you've got two of the hardest heads in North Carolina, you know, right. and I don't see any give uh, between them, and I see the Speaker Moore is kind of larding up some districts. Uh, uh, I think uh, Representative Richardson, he's he's got like 120 million dollars worth of yeah. uh, uh, the state money going to his district. Yeah, there's an and, effort to essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I put this in quotation marks so the listeners can't see, but buy off, right, votes. Um, this happens all the time in legislatures, by the way. You're kidding. Uh, yeah, oh, no, 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 really. You know that. <laughs> this is the breaking um, news here. In order to, 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 to win some votes. But, you know, with the parties as polarized and as, as, as cohesive as they are now, you know, you, people worry all the time about being primaried. Um, oh, yeah. You might, you might buy, buy some goodies for your district which people might like but at the same time you know the the party in, in your district is is going to be outraged if you if you flip sides and and there's going to be plenty of demand for 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 a primary challenge um and so that's something that that, that members have to look out for but yeah no we do have the biennial budget which does mean we don't need a budget in the second year mm-hmm. but of course we're in the the first year of the biennial first year now. of a two-year because, budget yeah, yeah because it's it's 2019 we just had the election 2018 that's what i meant to say earlier on when i was trying to clear that point up mm-hmm. um you know i was uh, explaining to my uh, lovely wife donna of uh, you know who was saying like you know there's there's a, a couple of ways to skin this cat this medicaid cat and I was saying, you know what, Donna, it really doesn't matter because at least in non-professional political observer Rick Martinez, I think Governor Cooper is kind of in a nice place because if he doesn't get Medicaid expansion, he can blame the wascally Republicans and yeah. the General Assembly. And if he does get it, it's a big time win for him. Yeah. No, he – yeah. And and if you look at it from the other side, um, uh, the Republicans and, 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 and this say the Republican um, – a gubernatorial nominee, whoever mm-hmm. that would be, and I think, you know, a lot of people think that lieutenant governor, current lieutenant governor, is in a pretty good position to get that. Yeah, it's a harder argument to make. Um, of course, he can say oh, I wasn't involved, I was out of the loop. But uh, for for Republicans, you you can't sort of say, well, we s- stopped it. There are there is a constituency for that, but it's not huge, mm-hmm. right? Or, or on the other side, you know, we did nothing. Yeah. which is there's no, no no constituency for inaction generally. So, you know, it's it's just um, he does seem to ha- have the upper hand here. Um, but at the same time, he is the governor. And if you have gridlock for a long time, uh, someone like um, the Republican nominee, someone like Lieutenant Governor Forrest, if he gets the nomination, can sort of say, I'm someone who gets things done. Cooper likes presiding over standoffs mm-hmm. and gridlock. Um, 
what does Dan Forrest run on? He's going to announce for um, officially. He's been in, you know been in the about to announce uh, mode in about for about a year and a half, something like that. But uh, you know, what does he run on? Well, um, obviously, you know, today your uh, candidates are captive of their party labels to a large extent. Yeah. Hmm, that's a good point. Um, and so he'll run as a Republican who. Uh, is uh, generally favors um, and, and I think his record's consistent with this low regulation low taxes mm-hmm. um, uh, economic growth that way of course the president complicates things greatly and it's going to not just for for who the Republican nomination nominee for governor is here but across the country um, how do you how do you run um, with Don, Donald Trump on the ticket mm. Um, and with a four-year record, it's different from 2016. Now he's got a four-year record. Do, mm-hmm. do you do you go all in on Trump, or do you just sort of say I'm, I, I like a lot of stuff the president's do, done, uh, but I want to distance myself from him in, 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 in other regards? That's going to be a question that a lot of Republican statewide office uh, seekers are going to be talking about, and we're seeing it. We're, I think we'll see it play out a little bit in. Um, for the U.S. Senate, um, Senator Tillis has mm-hmm. a primary challenge. Um, Garland Tucker. Tucker. Yeah. And uh, Tillis has the president's uh, endorsement, at least for the time being. I mean, I don't know whether that would change. <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole debates between Tillis and Tucker are going to be based uh, – the, the questions asked of them are, are you with the president? Um, and to what extent? Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be a lot of the debate uh, in that Republican primary. Yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be an interesting one because um, I guess at least from what I know or what I understand, uh, Garland Tucker one he's got some money, and and two he's being backed by most of the traditional uh, conservatives uh, in uh, North Carolina. Something that. Um, Senator Tillis does not have a really he never did have no right no right going back to his time as being speaker in the mm-hmm. general assembly um and yeah no it will be interesting because the the Trump will will play a huge role obviously and and at the moment um at least he said that he's supportive of of Senator Tillis um who on the democratic side will vie for that seat do you think for the Senate seat, yes. yeah, well, Cal Cunningham is sort of the person who mm-hmm. uh, actually who's who's come out, and 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 so Cunningham has a track record and state legislature. He mm-hmm. ran for Senate. He's run. He ran for Senate uh, in uh, the Democratic nomination in twenty ten. Uh, I, I think it was twenty ten. Uh, this is the second Burr um, term, mm-hmm. uh, and was defeated in the runoff by Elaine Marshall. Everybody knows mm-hmm. as the Secretary of State. And then, of course, she lost to Burr mm-hmm. in the general. Um, so he's been around for a while. He's very well known in Democratic circles. But, I, you know, with all due respect to him, he's not, you know, real, real heavy hitter. Um, and uh, it is interesting that there's still some time, but there there don't, don't seem to be... There's a lot of the uh, prominent Democrats... Um, uh, seem to be passing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can explain uh, to me what I think is the most um, puzzling candidacy uh, declared so far for 2020, and that would be former Congresswoman Renee Elmers wants to be our next lieutenant governor. Why? 
<laughs> I, well, you, you have might any ask idea? anybody why you, you want to be <laughs> lieutenant governor. I'll ask right? Dan Forrest yeah, you next time ask, I yeah, see Yeah, ask lieutenant, the, the actual sitting lieutenant governor because he, <laughs> he, might, he might have a problem answering the question himself. I mean, the lieutenant governor in, in North Carolina doesn't have a tremendous amount of... To do. To do, <laughs> yeah. right? So they're, they're elected on a separate ticket, which means that you can have... Uh, like we do at the moment, a governor of one party and Mm -hmm. a lieutenant governor of the other. A lot of the role of the lieutenant governor is defined by the governor. And as you can imagine, particularly in our partisan era, that there's not going to be a lot of love and trust between Governor Cooper's office and Lieutenant Governor Forrest's office. Um, There are some ceremonial and there are some substantive important roles like running commissions, being on commissions and what have you. But, but, yeah, and and so the way we've come to think about it is as a uh, sort of step on the ladder mm-hmm. uh, towards the governorship, and mm-hmm. and that certainly seems to be the way that it, it, the office might be interpreted uh, as we as mm-hmm. we think about uh, Lieutenant Governor Forrest's career. Doesn't mean you're always going to get it, though. We're talking about Forrest as sort of the anointed Republican nominee for governor next yeah. time. But there have been lieutenant governors who've been looked over. W- Walter Dalton, of course, got it. That's and right. was the nom- But you think back to Dennis Wicker, who everybody right. thought was going to be the nominee. Yeah. Um, and uh, Didn't Mike work out Easley. Yeah. Uh, and so you can almost think of the attorney general's position as better, right? Easley. Yeah. Cooper now. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks Josh Stein uh, is going to is sort of in that lane to mm-hmm. succeed. Um, to succeed or be the Democrat who's who would want would want to succeed Roy Cooper. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, yeah, ask her. But maybe she think maybe she has designs on 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 being governor, or maybe she likes well, sitting in on commission meetings. Well, yeah, and you know, and to be fair to Dan Forrest, he really has a, uh, uh, the the lieutenant governor is a de facto member of so many, uh, including the state board of yes, education. Excuse me, and he's shown up, and he's. Oh yeah, no, no. There's a lot of work to be done. It just doesn't seem to a lot of people to be very important and interesting, (laughs) even though it is. I mean, it doesn't get the he doesn't get the doesn't get the limelight. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, we're speaking to uh, 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 NC State uh, political professor, our professor of political science, uh, Andy Taylor, and uh, we'll be back with our final segment. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. 
make the right choices today, and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez and for Don Curtis on this edition, speaking with Professor Andy Taylor, a professor of political science at uh, NC State. Okay, I think uh, we have about uh, 20, two dozen people running for the Democratic nomination for president. Uh, they're probably 20, 30 percent into the campaign. Give me your impressions of the Democrats. It's muddled, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's no doubt about that. Um, I think we're starting to see the emergence of four candidates mm-hmm. uh, who I would say at this point one of and this isn't this isn't uh, a real gamble on my part, but who I think will one of whom will get the nomination. They're putting some distance between themselves and the others, and that would be uh, Joe Biden, Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other interesting candidates who are trying to get up in there. The mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg, is mm-hmm. the obvious example. I think he's sort of probably next. Um, it would be interesting to see whether some of the sort of people who uh, who I thought were going to really do well can try to save themselves before we have that real cutoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking po- particularly about Senators Cory Booker, maybe Senator Amy Klobuchar Mm -hmm. um, uh, possibly could get in there. But, yeah, so we've got these two tiers. And I think in terms of the dynamics, you know, there are going to be some cleavages. There's going to be sort of the moderates versus the the liberals or the progressives, whatever you want to call them. Um, But there are also going to be some interesting um, gender and racial this is the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, identity politics is seems to be very important. That those cleavages are going to become important. You know, um, um, but also I think generational ones. Um, and and certainly, if we get that split with those four basically and the others slowly but surely sort of drop out, then the dynamics fit Harris. Um, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, as by far and away the the young, even though she's well, she's she's pretty young, uh, she's in her fifties. Um, young, don't get in trouble kind of, here, professor. Yeah, no, no, I, we're, we're all there, aren't we? Um, uh, as the except for Jason, um, uh, who would be able to sort of talk about that generational thing. But um, yeah, the, all of these things have got to kind of shake themselves out. And it, as you noted. Um, it's an un- unwieldy field, which is actually growing as it gets smaller as well. You know, you've got mm-hmm. um, uh, people announcing as well, people. Tom, are, uh, Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. Eric's were well dropped out, but Tom, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. And, and, and where that would, I mean, Steyer's really interesting char- character, but no one's even sort of talking about. It. It's a really interesting race. I mean, we've had a little bit of discussion about Bill de Blasio uh, in the last couple of days. But here's the, the mayor of the largest city in the country who no one is even thinking of as being a candidate. Um, I'm surprised I didn't hear the name uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Oh, I said Sanders. Yeah, you in, did. Uh, in my four, yeah. Okay. So so Biden, Sanders, Warren, and, and Harris. Let's play that, the tape back because I don't know if you did. Sorry, okay. I, I might have right. mumbled it, but okay. or at least I meant to say it, even though I might okay. not have. Well, uh, I think my hearing is not uh, um, what it used to be. Is this um, – current group of uh, candidate because i'm i'm surprised 
We're not surprised. When you said, you know, this, there might be a cleavage between uh, the more progressive wing and the more moderate ring, and I'm sitting there looking at, at the list, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, Vice President Biden, I think, would be fit in the moderate. In fact, he's, I think this week, said his health care plan uh, builds on the existing Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, as opposed to some of the other um, – is, is I guess what I'm asking you, is the current group of candidates, do they, are they reflective of the Democratic Party uh, as a whole? Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when you have 24 people, they probably do. <laughs> the, the real question is, is the center of gravity <clears throat> in that 24, right? And I think, I think there is a danger, <laughs> and I think uh, Vice President Biden has sort of talked about this, that the Democrats could nominate someone who is further to the left than they nominate someone who's to the left of the median American. That's what Democrats do. Yeah. But to the really to the left of the median American, and even to the left of the median Democrat, um, and um, that is a significant from for, from their perspective a significant danger. Uh, given the mix of candidates, but it's not just Biden versus the crowd. I mean, I think. That one of the interesting things I found watching what's going on earlier is particularly people like um, uh, who are senators, particularly Booker Harris and to a lesser ex- extent Gillibrand, um, who have actually done sort of moderate things before, uh, genuinely moderate back, things back in the day, back yeah. in, you know, and and and, and who have <clears throat> uh, have taken positions, um, Booker, for example, uh, on economic policy, on law and order who have taken a lot of flack from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And yet that you can sense that they feel that they need to, whatever you want to say, pander to them or or move in that direction. They have palpably gone over to sort of say to the progressives, I'm I'm woke, you know, I'm in. (laughs) Um, That's right, yeah. And um, that is... A sense that you know, I think Biden's trying to say. Um, of course, he wants to be the nominee, mm-hmm. but but he's also trying to say we've got to be careful of that. And but but I think there are candidates out there. Let's say if it, if Harris is the nominee, or if you know, much less likely it seems at the moment, but someone like Booker is the nominee. They they can uh, appeal. I think a. a, a as a moderate in a way that someone like a Bernie Sanders clearly can't mm. or an Elizabeth Warren clearly can't um, or a Beto O'Rourke clearly can't. Oh, yeah, I remember um, him now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. Well, he's not going to be the nominee. So. But, mm. but that, but, so, so it's not just Biden versus the field. I guess that's what I'm saying. There is, but there is a danger for Democrats from their perspective that they're all going to try to out-progressive each other with the exception of Biden um, during the primaries to be to be the anti-Biden, the anti-Biden gets it. Um, and that person then has to uh, spend a lot of time trying to scurry back to the center. Or if it's Bernie Sanders, won't even bother. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah. That, that's it. That's the challenge. Yeah. Well, uh, Professor Andy Taylor, I want to thank you for taking time out of your uh, summer and you know, coming off the beach and coming in here. And I, giving was, us I was a, in the office. Uh, <laughs> I have been on the beach. But. And uh, and uh, spending this time with, I, I, I guess we got a pretty exciting uh, political year ahead of us. We do. Thanks, Rick. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, uh, next week, uh, Don Curtis will be, be back with another newsmaker here on Carolina Newsmakers. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.